0: Welcome to the Well Ministry podcast, where we want to help you understand the Bible. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Pastor Nathan Walter. All right, so Genesis 22 1. um, And today, this is is a big moment. Abraham tested. This is, I think I'm just going to read the whole thing today. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac. And go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain, I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servant, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we'll come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son, Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. He saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed, because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants, and they set off together for Beersheba, and Abraham stayed in Beersheba. That's all I'm reading. I mean, this story just like turns your stomach, doesn't it? Sometimes like when I preach about... Abraham and Isaac, or when I would do it at youth, or even in service, you're just like, man, I hope nobody is like a visitor and doesn't know anything about God and came in for this sermon, because they're just like, huh, I don't know if I like this guy. It's crazy. It turns your stomach. Uh, we did we did Bible studies. Well, we did. We stopped doing Bible studies. Um, we did Bible. We do Bible studies with my kids and. Um, there's always like a moment where they become, you know, we're just doing the Bible study and then they get some awareness at some point, a certain age where they're like, and I remember we're, we're like doing this Bible study and, you know, there's like a pictures and Abrahams and Isaac like looks this old, you know, and he's cute. And um, Aurora is just like, <laughs> I see her face going, she's like, who does God want to tell? The Tid? And you're like, you got to stop for a moment, you know. And I'm like, how do I explain this? And Flynn's like, well, Aurora, God just wants to see. He doesn't want the kid to die. He just wants to see if Abraham will obey him. He's testing it. And I'm like, yeah, what he said. He's got it. He's got it. But I mean, we all respond to this story like, this is crazy. I think it makes us question who God is. I think, honestly, it might have made Abraham question who God is. It seems questionable, it seems cruel. It seems without purpose. We're like, why is this happening? It's one of the reasons at the very beginning, at the very beginning, it says, God tested Abraham. I don't know if you ever noticed that when reading the Bible. It says, and then God tested Abraham. It tells every reader before they read the story that everything's going to turn out okay. Because for us, I mean, we're just like, you know, this sounds crazy. But to them, their surrounding cultures, they did human sacrifices, So this is important that everyone knows when they read this at the time, like God's not okay with human sacrifice. This isn't going to happen. This is a test for Abraham. Okay, because we'll even see later in Scripture that some Israelites, they they take on these human sacrifices, start doing this like their neighbors. Um, So it's quick to say that's why it says this is a test early on in the Scripture so that we know God is not okay with this. This is just a test. And, and, and we need to know it's a test because we might be like, does God have a reason for doing this, or is he just toying with this guy's emotions? So, so we're going to look at it, and I'm going to explain it to you. Um, so we, we know this is a test. It says it. Abraham doesn't necessarily know this is a test, but it's not a random test. It's not a random test. This test is specifically for Abraham. Abraham's test. It has his name on it. Just like with our tests, when we are tested, it's going to have our name on it. It's going to be specifically for us. It's going to be designed for a certain and specific result in us. If you're going through a test, it's because there's an end result that God is after that's specific to you. The Hebrew word here for test in the verse means to test, try, or prove. To prove. Now, God knows whether you're going to pass. Maybe he's trying to prove it to you. Um, and you, honestly, you might fail that test many, many times before you pass it. It's, it's probably something, if you're being tested in something, it's probably something that you have failed many times already. It's like your one hang-up, the one thing that's hard to give up, the one thing that's hard to get over. And tests are designed to break those cycles, to break those strongholds. God's just not going to let you sit in that cycle, sit in that stronghold. He's going to want to break it. And, but I don't just think this is like us proving ourselves to God or God proving to us that we can do it. I think through testing, God proves himself to us. God proves himself to us, even though he doesn't need to. God is God. He doesn't need to, but still he takes the time to prove himself to us. God tells Abraham, he says, take your only son whom you love your only son, whom you love. Now, Isaac, we've studied this. Isaac is not Abraham's only son, is he? But he is the son of promise. He's the one through which God said he would bless him and give him descendants. He's the miracle that Abraham and Sarah had waited and waited for. The name Isaac means laughter. He brought laughter and joy into the home. And and, and this, this happens when you have kids. They bring a lot of joy into the home. They bring a lot of work into the home. They bring a lot of, like, Lack of sleep into the home for Daisy. I sleep through it. Um, she's a light sleeper. But like they also bring joy in, in really mundane moments. Uh, I remember the other day we were driving in the car and I was like, we were doing something. I just was like, man, in a minute, we're going to have to, okay, after this, we need to figure it out because I'm hungry. Da- Daddy's hungry and I need to eat. And Flynn just in the back and he goes, Gotta feed Big D. <laughs> and I was, like, I was like, that's right. You know what I'm saying? Gotta feed Big D. Who's this kid? This kid's awesome. You know who I am, and, and like we just start laughing. And Daisy's, you know, like you are so funny. Everything you do is so funny. So when you say that to a kid, they're like, "I'm gonna keep going. I'm gonna keep rolling." And then it's like, mm. and he's like running to the ground, and a goes, "Well, you're mostly funny." And now, and we were like, "Bam, bam!" Oh, we're just driving around in a car, and we're just like laughing it up. Um, and then, and then we went and we fed Big D. <laughs> fed Big D. So, so the arrival of their son changed everything in the house. They finally, not just because they had a child, but they finally had the heir of God's promise that had finally come to pass. God had been faithful. God had been true. But like if we look at it, had Abraham really trusted God along the way? And it's possible that this test comes because of the many times that Abraham failed Because of the many moments of doubt that Abraham had concerning this particular situation. All the times he fails comes from this particular situation and not trusting God. So let's review what happened. Okay, God tells him in Genesis 15, he'll have an heir. That his descendants will be as numerous as the stars. It says that Abraham believed God. But then shortly after, when his wife didn't bear him a son, she has him sleep with his servant so that he'll have an heir. They take matters into their own hands does that show complete trust? Did did he pass that test? No, he did not pass that test. And it created many, many problems. That whole, like, God helps those who help themselves did not ring true in this situation. Okay, so if anyone says, hey, God helps those who help themselves, be like, does it? Does it? Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, uh, Hagar? And they'll be like, what are you talking about? And you pull out your Bible and preach at them in the middle of wherever you're at. Um, So it created problems. Um, So much so that Abraham had to send Ishmael, the other son, away because of the conflict. And God assures Abraham he's going to bless Ishmael and watch over him. But if you remember, it's a heartbreaking situation, one they had caused by doing it their own way. And so when God says, take your only son, whom you love, let's just, if we remember how much that hurt to send Ishmael away, for God to then say, take your only son, whom you love, your only son, whom you love, like, he already had one really hard goodbye. And this just makes it worse. And, and I can just picture Abraham being like, you mean the one I have left? The, the one you've left me with? Are you going to take him too? Would you take him too? Like, we, when we hear of someone, a family, losing someone in the family, when we know the devastation, we're like, that is so devastating. And then when in these crazy circumstances where, where they lose two, we're like, oh, that's just insurmountable. I don't even know. And that's what we say to him a lot of times. we like, I, we don't know what to say. We're just like, man, this is just like, oh. And this is, this is Abraham. This is Abraham. And you can feel God knows. God knows this. He's not just saying, hey, your son, whom you love. He's saying, when he says, take your only son, whom you love, he's telling them, I know. I know what I'm asking of you. I know it's a big deal. I know that you love him. I know that you do. Your only son whom you love, I know. I can see Abram being like, but he's the promise. He is the promise. We waited and waited for the promise and you gave him to us. Like, how can you fulfill your promise without him? Can you fulfill your promise without him? And sometimes we do the same thing. The result, the thing we've been praying for, the promise, becomes the God to us. It can become more important than he who did it. We think, no, God, you need this. This is, this is what you need. You fulfilled this promise. I see it all the time. I see like someone praying and praying to be in a relationship or bring a man or woman of God and uh, they spend their time preparing to be a man or woman of God for their future spouse and then they meet someone, they go to church together, maybe they do Bible studies together, but then they become so important to each other. They're like, this is the promise. This is the promise, God. And then if God's like, no, it's not, we're like, well, it is. You don't know my feelings inside, you know? Like whoever Daisy dated or liked before, they weren't the promise. <laughs> I am the promise, you know? And sometimes she, she like holds me up and she's like, but you're the promise. And I'm like, I'm just a man, you know? It's, it's, but in fact, I am the promise. So, and you are the promise too. Probably, probably more so. Um, and, but we transfer our trust in God to a person or a situation. We think what God has done, this is the promise. You need this. You can't do it without this. This is the way you're going to work things out. And, and so we can't like, so we won't follow him further because we're like, I've already worked out in my head that this is how it's going to go. Your promise can't come true without this. And many times our hardest tests involve the things that we love the dearest. The, the Hebrew word for love means to love, desire, to delight in. It's like a strong emotional attachment for it, and a, a desire to possess or be in the presence of, of the object that we love. And I think we can attest to this. When you love, uh, when you love someone, you want to you be with them all the time. You want to be in their presence. Uh, so, which brings to mind this question. Okay, when we look at, like, worldly love, when you love someone, you, you want to be with them every waking moment. You want to talk to them about nothing, right? And it's annoying to everyone else because you're like, you're talking about nothing, okay? Your your love isn't real. Um, No, but do we, when we say I love God, do we desire to be with him every waking minute? Do we want to talk to him about nothing? Do we want to just be in his presence? Do we desire that? Because I think if we look at how we desire earthly relationships and how we, we desire God and we say we love the same things, is it really love? Do we desire to be, like, to be with God in that same way? What do we love more? And this is where the tests come in. We will give God most of what we love. We'll give him most of what we love but rarely do we give him what we love the most. We'll like, be like, Lord, I surrender my life to you. We say it, I give you all that I am. You know, We say that all the time, we sing that stuff, like I just surrender, I give you all that I am. But, but often we're like, but in our heads, we might not say it, but we're like, but you can't have this. This is, this is the one thing you can't have. I, I'm not gonna give it to you. This is a part of me. This is the thing I love the most. I'm not gonna change this. These are my conditions. For, for, for being with you. And sometimes we're obedient, but only mostly. We're like mostly obedient. We, we don't go the whole distance. We don't always go the whole way. Lord, we're like, we like talked about last week. Lord, I've forgiven this person like you said to, but don't expect me to be nice to them. Right? Or we can obey God and be bitter about it. Right? I'll do it. Okay. No, I'll do it. You want me to do it? I'll do it. Fine. You know? And then you go do it. And then when something happens, you're just like, "Ha! Hmm, huh, just like I knew it would, but I'm doing it just like you said. We don't talk to them like that. But, but in your head, you kind of are. You know, That's what you're thinking. You're just like, man, like, uh, you know, I hope you're happy, God. I sincerely hope you're happy because this sure has cost me. It sure has cost me. It's turned out like I knew that it would. You told me to go say sorry to that person. I did. And guess what? They didn't say it back. Didn't say it back. And now I'm even more mad at them. So obviously, it wasn't your timing for restoration. So I don't know why you told me to do that. You obviously don't know what you're talking about. But often when God is telling us to, do, to give up stuff, it, it's things we desire. It's like relationships or it's position. It's power. It's esteem. Things that most of the time they're not of God, but sometimes they're of God, but they've just become a little bit too important to us, and they've, they've conflicted what, with what God is saying to us. And oftentimes, we know things are bad for us. We know relations are bad for us, yet we stay in it. We know things aren't of God, but we do them because we love them. And we want to obey God, but I want to obey, but I really want these things too. And so often, you hear people that have been going through it, and they're like, man, I want God, but I want this thing too. And sometimes they'll obey, and sometimes they're like, you know what? I just got a piece about it. And like when someone says, I got a piece about it, like what can you say? You can't be like, no, you don't. It was like, but do you have a peace about it because God said it was okay? Do you have a peace about it because you stopped fighting? Because sometimes when we obey God, we have to fight. We have to struggle. And then sometimes, almost every time, when someone says, oh, I've got a peace about it, about doing it now. It's like, oh, I've just stopped. You have a peace because you've stopped struggling. When you stop struggling with sin, sometimes you feel peace about it. It's not a God-given peace. You've just stopped warring with the enemy. Really, it's just a temporary reprieve before you find yourself a POW behind enemy lines. Um, so what? We all have this Isaac. We all have this thing that we're unwilling to give up to God, to trust God with. What, what things are we unwilling to get past? There are things we're unwilling to get past. I, I, I talk to people who read something in the Bible, and they just like, I read this, I just can't get past this. I didn't like it. I, I, I don't know how a loving God could do that or say that. I don't understand. I don't get it. And if we, if we don't press on, we'll never understand. We're never going to understand. We'll never get it. We just make ourselves the final authority of what's right and wrong. We set ourselves up as God because we don't understand. Because we don't understand him. And we are unwilling to trust he whom we don't always understand. When God tells Abraham, take your son, take your only son whom you love, I can guarantee you, Abraham does not understand. He does not only, uh, he understand. Not only does he not understand why God would ask of this thing, but he also doesn't understand because God had already promised that he's the heir and he's the promise. It makes no sense to Abraham. And he does not understand God. But what he does understand is the familiarity of this conversation. When when, when he hears this phrase, go to the region of Moriah, or it says Mount Moriah, when it says go, the word used for go shows up several times in the Bible. The same when, when God says, go, leave your country, your land, and your father's people. Go to a land I've prepared for you. And every time this shows up in the Bible, God asks for something huge. And he says it here. In the King James Version, it says, take now thine only son and the word used for now is actually na in a which is a word that means please which i think it's so funny that god is saying please and he's not asking him he's urging him he's not saying please would you do this he's like please do this please trust me lift up now thine lift take thine only son and we've seen this before when God tells Abraham to lift up now thine eyes and see the land I've given you. And this word nah shows up four times in the Old Testament. And they're all like promises. And three of them are to Abraham specifically. One is in Genesis 15, 5. And it says, And the Lord brought Abram outside his tent and said, Look now towards the heavens and count the stars if you are able to count them. He says, Look, please, please look. I'm about to show you something. I'm going to show you something. In Genesis 13, 14, and the Lord said unto Abram, after Lot was separated from him, lift up now thine eyes and look from the place where thou art northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it and to thy seed forever. Guess which version that is. But he says, lift up, please. Look, look up, please. And then in Exodus 11, 1, and the Lord said unto Moses, Yet will I bring one plague more upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go. Um, When he lets you go, he will surely thrust you out altogether. Speak now, nah, in the ears of the people, and let every man borrow of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor jewels of silver and jewels of gold. And the other time is in this passage. In all of these four passages, God is asking someone to do something or to trust him with something that just transcends human comprehension. It doesn't make sense. And God uses this word, nah, please, now, in in times of staggering importance. And he's urging Abraham to believe him, to believe I can be be trusted. Just do what I'm telling you to do, please. Please just do it. Do what I'm telling you to do. And when God uses this word, something huge, is at stake and that kind of rings true when we're thinking of like obedience when God is like please now please now I need you to be obedient in this something huge is at stake there are huge ramifications you need to do this now please now lift up your eyes hear what I'm saying and do this. And Abraham recognized, even though he doesn't understand what God is asking, he recognizes the way God is asking, and he's recognizing the importance of it and what has happened the past times God has used this word. And so he answers, here I am. And it says, early the next morning, he sets off. He obeys immediately because delayed obedience is disobedience. And so he heads off to the region, of, it says Mount Moriah, but it's really the region of Moriah, and there's a mountain there, and it's roughly 45 miles, and it's going to take three days to get there. And not only does he have to make a three-day three trip, he's got to chop wood before he goes, right? Just to, like, more time to think about it, more time to think about it, right? It, it sounds like the worst thing in the world. So he, Mount Moriah, it doesn't say this, but this is important, Moriah is in present-day Jerusalem, and the mountain there is where the temple is. Right there, same spot. And in Moriah, further down on the hill, that's the location where many believe Jesus was crucified. And that just shows, man, all these things are tied together. All these things are tied together, that Isaac is going to be sacrificed on the very mountain where the temple of the living God will one day be. There's a future significance to what Abraham is doing in the moment. And we see through his obedience that he loves God and that he fears God. And we don't like to think of that term like fearing God. And that's one of the things that people say they read it. And like, I just read we should fear God. And I just, I don't think we should fear anything. And so I just don't trust him. I'm not going to follow him. I don't, that just doesn't make any sense to me. Right. But we have to love and fear God. And at the end, Genesis 22, 12, he says, now I know that you fear God. And this is a term we see in the Bible. So it's something we need to come to terms with. Fearing God. What does it mean to fear God? If God asks you to do something and you don't do it, you don't fear God. If God asks you to do something, but you're afraid of what people might say, you're afraid they might be offended, that they might ostracize you and so you don't do it, you might lose your job, then then what do you fear? What are you fearing? Who do you fear? Do you fear God? Or are you fearing man? It says yeah, we can't, you can't serve two gods. It also says to fear God is the beginning of wisdom. So we need to come to terms with fearing God, obeying God, doing what he says, even when we don't understand. Because don't think God doesn't know if you love him and fear him. And if you love God and fear God, then you will come to learn in those moments when he asks for things you don't understand, you will learn that God will provide. Just like Abraham learns that God will provide. In verse five, Abraham tells his servant, we will worship and then we will return to you. He says, we will return to you. We will come back. Abraham expects, he's a God, but he expects to come off this mountain with Isaac. Is he anticipating what God is going to do, or has he finally come to the place where he trusts God? God wants me to sacrifice my son, but he has already promised that the line will continue through him, and he isn't even married yet. And this is important because so many times God has said, you're going to have an heir from your body, and they did something. And then, and then God says, okay, you're going to have this. And they did something to try to make it happen. And they didn't believe necessarily the promise of God. And here, when the stakes are the highest for Abraham, that's when he's standing on the promises of God. And sometimes it takes something like that. That's just like, I, you know, you told me one thing and I didn't trust you and I did my own thing. You told me something else. I didn't trust you. I did my own thing. And now you're telling me something, but I know what you told me before and I'm going to stand on it. Because Abraham needs to stand on it. In those moments, you're like, I've got nothing else to stand on but the word of the Lord. So I'm going to stand on the word of the Lord. And you said it. And maybe I didn't believe you 100% before, but now I need it. And I've got nothing else. And I've got nowhere else to stand. So I'm going to stand on your word. We will be coming back off that mountain. Praise the Lord. Isaac's going to be coming off the mountain. I'm saying it now. I'm believing the promise. God is true. He's been true. and, And he is going to be true. And we will be back. I don't know how, but we will be back. He doesn't say all of that. But he says, God wants me to sacrifice my son, but I know that he has made a promise, that this is the son of promise. And what I have learned, even through my mistakes, is God is a God who keeps his promises. And so we will be back. I don't know what he's going to do. I don't know how he's going to do it. But I believe his promises. I mean, maybe Abraham thought that God would raise him from the dead. Either way, he trusted him. And this is a huge test. I mean, we all know this is a huge test. This is a bigger test than many of us will ever, ever have. But let me tell you something about big tests. The harder the test, the bigger the ramifications, the, the further reaching the ramifications. When God is up to something big, when God is asking for something big, when it is a big test, then God is up to something big in your life. If it's a big test, then he's doing something big. He will come through. You just have to trust him. At the end, Abraham said what? He called him, he said, The Lord will provide. Before he went up there, he said, The Lord will provide. I don't know how, but the Lord will provide. And what that means is the word, the Hebrew word for provide means to see or is seen. So he's saying, On this mountain, in this trial, I will see the Lord. And the same is true for us. On the mountain, in our trials, that is when we see the Lord in the midst of our struggles and we've got nowhere else to stand. That's where we see him at work. That's when we feel his love. That's when we learn once and for all, it's not by might nor by power, but by his spirit. And you might. I don't know what everyone's going through, but I know some families are having some situations at work. I know you might look at the world right now and be like, man, this is this is awful, man. Something big is about to happen. And, and the way I look at it is like, man, things are about to get really hard. Things could get really hard for us. Things would get really hard for our family. Things would get really hard in this nation. And the way we need to look at it at Christians is be like, I wonder what big thing God is doing. If, if this is a big thing, if things are about to get hard, then God is gonna do something really hard really big and we will see him we're going to see him because there's no there's no there's nowhere else to look and there's no other ground to stand on all i have is i know the lord will provide the lord will be seen i know he's a god who keeps his promises and i'm going to trust him so what did abraham see about god he he said the lord will be seen on the mountain and abraham does see god on this mountain Unbeknownst to him, this is like a, they're just acting out what is going to happen in the future. Abraham and Isaac are just characters preaching the gospel before the gospel is there. Moriah, they're on Mount Moriah long before Christ. You see, if you want to teach someone something, you have them do it. It's the, it's the easiest way to get someone to learn something. You just have them do it. They, they feel the emotions of it, what it feels like. They'll never forget it, going through that process. Especially something like this. When you go through it, then you tell, you'll tell the stories to your children and your children's children. And in this play that they're acting out, God says, here, Abraham, you are going to be me. And Isaac, and let me stress this to you, your only son, whom you love, is going to play my only son, whom I love, who is just as dear to me. He's just as dear to me. Isaac, his son, man, he plays Jesus. He's carrying the wood and the knife. He's carrying the means by which he will die, just as Jesus carried the cross. And Isaac obeys his father. He obeys his father, even though it's something that he, foreboding, something he knew was going to happen, but he didn't like what was necessarily going to happen. He obeys his father. He does it willingly. He doesn't struggle. This act, in both circumstances, requires a father who was willing to give his son and a son who was willing to obey his father. And Isaac needed to obey, because when we do those little Bible studies for kids, we picture Isaac as a little kid, a cute little kid, and he didn't know what was going on. But Isaac is estimated to be between 25 and 37, okay? And you might be like, I have a kid who's in their 30s, and oh, it's a lot easier than when they're five, you know? But he's, he's big enough, and let's not forget how old Abraham is, he's big enough to resist if he wants to. He's big enough to fight. He's big enough to struggle, to struggle, to say, Dad, I don't understand. I don't understand what you're doing. He's not cute, a cute little kid. He's not defenseless. He is fully capable of resisting, but he doesn't. He is a willing participant. He is obeying his father, even though it's not necessarily something he wants to do or something he understands. And he gets to play Jesus right up to the point Right up to the point when God says, when, when, when the angel says, stop. Stop. And can you imagine? Can you imagine what that was like, hearing that? I would have been moving real slow with the knife. I would have been shaken. God, are you really? Kind? Because, then, because then it comes. Like, you promised. You promised. And we've got this way, and I obeyed you. And I walked, and I'm all the way at the point I'm all the way at the point, but you have to get there to prove you're willing to do it. And he's all the way at the point, and God says, stop. And you know Abraham fell over weeping. You know, as old as he is, taking this three-day journey, getting to this mountain, climbing this mountain, doing this thing, he, I mean, he's exhausted because of his old age, but he is more exhausted because of the emotions that are running through him. And when God says, stop, I can just see, he's like, ah, oh, I knew, I knew you were good. I knew you were everything you said. I knew you would keep your promise. I knew that you were a God who keeps his promise. And God provides a ram to take Isaac's place. And he provided Jesus to take to ours. Provided Jesus to take ours. And now God can say, Abraham, now, now you understand. You didn't understand. But now you understand. And you understand a little bit more then you thought I would reveal because now you understand what it takes for a father to sacrifice his son. Now you know the pain that it takes for a father to sacrifice his only son. Now you know the lengths to which I will go to for you. Now you know the lanes to which I will go to. Now you understand how much I love you. Now you understand me. Now you understand me. Abraham might be the only person who understands God. Yes, God, I know the pain. I know the cost. I I know what it takes to give your only son. And because he knows that cost, he knows the love that God feels to allow that to happen to his son, his only son, whom he loves. For us to know God in this way, listen, for us to know God in this way, to understand God, to come to know him a little bit more in these deep ways that Abraham understood God, For us to see God on the mountain, for us to know him, for us to draw closer to him, we have to obey and continue to walk and do what he says. And it's most important that we do that when we do not understand. If God tells you to do something and you do not understand, it does not make sense, then you can know that it is God. And you say, God, this is really hard. We have to walk and stand on the promise, say, God, this is really hard, but I'm going to trust that it's really big. And I'm going to trust that you're going to keep your promise. And when we do, when we trust him, when we say, okay, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to do it. It's really hard. I don't understand, but I'm going to do it. When we do this, We can then call him by the name that is revealed here when Abraham says, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. And he doesn't just say the Lord will provide for this. He can can now say the Lord will provide all my needs according to his riches and glory. The Lord will provide all my needs, every need I have. When I'm in the deepest pain, when it's the hardest, the Lord will provide. He will provide. I know it. Because I've seen it. Because the Lord was seen on the mountain. In my hardest struggle, the Lord was seen. I've seen him like I've never seen him before. And finally, as much as God has spoken to him, revealed himself to him, as much as Abraham has these these conversations with God, this is when God reveals himself the most in, in the hardest test of Abraham's life. The thing that he does not know if he can get through it on his own. He does not know how he will do it. You know that he gives Isaac the wood because he cannot carry the wood. And Isaac might be like, why am I? Well, can you help me carry the wood? And he's like, son, if I can't tell you. i I don't have the strength. I do not have the strength. I'm walking and I'm obeying, but I don't have the strength to get through it. I'm barely, barely getting by. And if you're barely, barely getting by and you don't have the strength to get do it, you're like, I can't carry anything. I'm telling you, when you get to that mountain, when you are tested in that way, in the hard, hard test of life, it is there that you will see God. And just like Abraham, you will fall on your knees weeping and say, Jehovah Jireh, he provided. Just like he said he would. Just like he said he would. you are so good. I bet, I bet, as tired as he was going up that mountain, when he's walking down the mountain, he's like, "Ah, ah," doing this old man jig. I was trying to do an old man jig, you know, in like the dresses they wore. But he is like, man, man, man. Because it's not just, when it says the Lord will provide, it's not, the Lord, it's not just these names. You got to understand about these names. It's not just what he does. It's who he is. Because when we do things, we can do them or we cannot do them. And so we, we're like, well, I can be faithful, I can be unfaithful, I can be honest, I can be a liar. God, these names, the Lord will provide. It's not something that he does, it's who he is. I provide, I provide for my children. I care for my children. I'll be seen in those tests, in those trials, on the mountain because that's who he is. That's who he is. Huh, let's pray. Lord, I just thank you. I just thank you for who you are. I just thank you that you can be seen on the mountain, Lord. You can be seen in the hardest times of our lives, Lord. And I just pray as Christians, as believers, that we will be people who walk in faith lord people who walk trust and be like man this is hard but god is a god who keeps his promises god is a god who is seen god is a god who, prov- who will provide he is jehovah jireh it's not what he does it's who he is and i'm going to stand on that and if i don't have any strength to get through if i don't have any strength to get by i'm just going to stand on it i'm going to kneel on it if i have to i'm just going to sit here on my knees and i don't have the answers and i don't understand but i can honestly say God will provide. God is good. God will keep his promises and he will keep his promises because it's not what he does. It's who he is. It's who he is. It's his essence. Lord, we praise you and we thank you that you are good, Lord. And I just pray that you would open our eyes, that you would open our hearts, that we will see you. That we will see you face to face, Lord. That we can trust you through these difficult times, through these hard times, knowing, not just saying it, but knowing it when we say it, that you are at work and you are doing something big. And we praise you for the victory in advance. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about The Well and other resources to help you study the Bible, go to thewellministry.co.